Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk micronutrients 101. In our spotlight, we're going to take a look at a new graphite product for your seed. Ag History Minute, we'll talk about the Wisconsin Fertilizer Research Fund. And then we'll wrap things up with some cool beans, that's corny, and some current events. With me today are Bill Schaumburg. Hey guys. Max Garvey. What's up everybody? Todd Schaumburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So if we sound somber, it's because it was a rough weekend last weekend. Not so great. I, I like the, uh, the golden opportunity here. Yep. Bill, yeah, they packed, <laughs> pack had no shortage of opportunities. Defense held up, but awesome. all other aspects of the game, not so great. Couldn't have asked for much more out of that defense. If you tell me... Six minutes to go, they stop them on fourth and inches, and you still lose the game. I wouldn't believe you. And they say defense wins championships, but apparently special teams can lose them, and yeah. the offense can also do some things not to help you along the way. I blame Erin Andrews at one point. She did say she talked to Kyle Shanahan, and he felt that special teams was going to give him the edge in this game. He no, did, duh. He did say after the game, like last week, Tuesday already, they're like, had a big meeting with their whole staff. I saw an interview with him after the game and basically said Tuesday they knew exactly that they were going to find the spots in the special teams to take advantage, and they did it twice. They didn't have to work very hard at it. No. I mean, our special team is a joke from day one, but they... But they knew those holes when that on the field goal block, that was the same spot. They did it earlier this year, so they must have seen that on tape, oh, obviously. Sure. Yep. That Lancaster wasn't playing something right, and they could go by, right by him. And, and clearly, we didn't adjust at all, right? And yeah, just poorly, poorly coached. And Max, as you said too, like to have ten guys on the field. As some listeners may not know, that you need eleven. You should have eleven out there usually <laughs> for the last play of the game. The Can't Packers have twelve. Only, yes, they only sent out ten. I mean, I know they say the fans are like the the twelfth man, man, but. I, yeah, and the on that Robbie Gould kick, they and, they didn't even have all eleven guys and, out there to try a, to block. Was eleven going to make a difference in whether or not the kick I, went through? Probably not. Probably not. But <laughs> if you can't even get the right guys on the field in the eighteenth game of the season, we still aren't sure if we're supposed to be on the field or not. You're a joke. You should be fired. What would you say to your seventh graders, Max, if they aren't <laughs> doing that? They only play I like, never had that much of a problem. They, only play <laughs> they, knew, they knew they had to be out there. Like the, the first two season. weeks and I and one week I, when, when half the team had COVID and we moved the whole team around. <laughs> other than that, we never had that much of an Max, issue. Max, you make a good point. Like These are professionals out there. You're both getting coaching, paid. You're getting both paid. Players, they should want to be out of like, the field. Like, not, this shouldn't be a problem. Some to of those guys are getting paid to $2 million there. to only be on the field for a field goal. Think about that. If your only job is to know, okay, they're about to kick a field goal, I need to walk 25 feet that way. If you can't figure that out, I mean, what are you doing? But I, I still think that players are one thing, but you, this, level, this level of poor execution week in and week out tells you that the coach is more of the problem than anything because he obviously can't prepare anyone for anything. I mean, and, it, and it wasn't just one, like, oh, freak, whatever. I mean, it was... They gave up a couple long kickoff returns again, and maybe just maybe we just need to squib it. Now Mason's not going to kick it through the back of the end zone anymore, so maybe squib it. Like they didn't do that, then you got the field goal, then you got the punt. Can we teach? Did did anybody consider you know the Bajorquez? You know the guy we 
traded for with the leg from that can kick it to Mars? Maybe he should kick off instead. Did we ever? Maybe. Was that ever a thought? Probably know. not, because we don't think on special teams. He didn't punt all that well either. Well, he. They said I. I figured it would be pretty hard punting the ball. Yeah, that ball's a rock. It was. Yeah. You could hear it coming off their foot, even yeah. through the TV. You even could when, hear it was a completely block, different sound. It sounded like you could hear a punt block. Yeah, like it was yeah. unbelievable. I, it sounded I, like a doink. The guy who blocked his wrist, who blocked the punt, probably has got a broken wrist now. I mean, <laughs> it was that ball. You could tell was hard. So, so do you feel more? Do you, do you feel worse about the special teams because it's just been so bad all year, and you knew that like it hasn't costed us a game yet, but it could and now it did or do you feel bad that the offense did absolutely nothing after big Doug's fumble like I'm, zero i'm far more upset about special teams for Cause me because it, it's fixable or because, should be fixable because we did not see these problems with our offense most year right our offense was sufficient right right we were paying plenty of good guys we have a great offense two great offensive minds for the most part in in hackett and lafleur we watched our special teams be just atrocious all year and we never made a change we never we never adjusted at all how do you go that long from no, they got worse than rather than better. <laughs> right. yeah like it, there was no improvement <laughs> that's true man it was no, a decline. No, no other teams were finding out those holes and right. they just they knew even that to, to if shanahan calls you out ahead of time and you know right. that that's coming and you still aren't watching your own tape to go let's figure it and, out and i'm starting to put some you know, Mark Murphy is to blame for not firing the guy when he should have and not bringing in the guy Lafleur wanted in the first place. But I'm a little bit peeved at Lafleur because you are the head coach. Right. You know there's a problem, and you have done nothing to adjust. You can fire him. Lafleur is able to fire him yeah, or Le- take his take his decision making away. Even Lafleur after games never threw him under the bus. Never even after this game he he's and didn't he had, which he. Probably at and, some point should. Just to a say, point, hey, I get Lafleur not throwing him under the bus in public, I, right. but he wasn't doing anything behind closed doors apparently either. Yeah, no, not enough. If he was doing anything, we could we could spend all day being upset. Oh, about this. this could yeah. This it, did we, you guys watch football the next day? Because I was no. in that realm of like I couldn't. No. Like I'm, I wa- Matt texted out a thing that said you know 13 seconds to go and yeah, the I, Chiefs game. So I'm like I'll flip that on, which actually was. <laughs> That I was that more was, exciting than any other. Oh, that was! Very I watched good. the last two minutes of both those games. Yeah, that no, was, I, it was amazing. The, I didn't the, watch any of the Buccaneers game, but as soon as I saw Tom Brady lost, that made me feel a little bit better. Yes, yeah, as I that made me feel. Don't a lot have to watch actually. him in the Super Bowl <laughs> yeah. again. So, and yeah, it happened to turn on the Bills game like probably close to halftime, and it was like, oh, it was close. It was with like field goal difference. And then I turned turned around again after my kids went to bed, and it was like, holy. Crap, it's like four point difference, and the Bills are driving. Like, this actually looks exciting. I think at one point in that game, they said there was like 25 points scored in like two minutes and some right. seconds. It was a very wild two minutes. But, well, the really crazy thing was the guy from the Bills had four touchdown catches, and did you even post, know his name? No, NFL postseason record. Some random wide receiver from the Bills had four touchdowns yesterday, yeah. and he scored two of them in they said in like 63 seconds or something like that. Yeah, it was crazy. And that was, again, you brought up the squib kick before I was saying to, to Jake, one of the other guys this morning, <clears throat> if the Bills would have squib kicked it, they could have cut some more time off of it. I mean, yeah, you, you risk giving them better field position, but at least you get the clock rolling. But, they, you, but you give up five or six seconds, and like the alternative is what? They get to the 40? Right. I mean, they got one play. And, and that's then, what it was. It was one play, and they were past that. Yeah. 
Credit to the Chiefs for having all their timeouts, too. Yeah. Yeah. They held on to them all. Hey, the Andy Reid likes to save him for next week, you know? Yeah. LaFleur <laughs> <laughs> likes and, to blow him as soon as he can. Andy, Andy Reid, he just holds on. Andy Reid is not a timeout guru, so just don't give him too much credit because <laughs> he, lucky. most of the time, he, he sits there and lets he, time run out with three timeouts. He comes in from his the pocket. Packer tree that way, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Well, that. That brings up something. Yeah, no, let's not even get into it. Let's talk about our. <laughs> like you said, today. we could be here. We're, we're done. We're we're yeah. moving no, on now. No, it's, move on. yeah, let's, we can't. I can't. All right, let's talk about micronutrients. So, Bill, what do you got for us? Yeah, I guess um, you know we had talked between the four of us at one point, maybe going into talking about each micronutrient one by one, and just kind of wanted to give an overview. Uh, hey, Bill, today, would you say the micronutrients are like the special teams of your farm. Like you got to make sure you're watching out yeah. and kind of making sure you're not just like not worrying about them. They're just over there practicing on that side. Let's worry about offense, defense. Make sure know, all 11 macro- are on the field when yeah, they should be. Yeah, like your your micronutrients are, are, are still very important. You just don't need that much of it, just that little bit. Little it's got to be right. And that little bit didn't come through. Yeah, and that's when you look at the research and you look at the papers written about micronutrients, that's what they say. They say they're – it's they need them in very small amounts they're not very you know you don't need them in high amounts like you do to the big ones but if they're not there they can really cause a problem and again go back to that comment todd that's exactly what happened on saturday is it's not very very much needed but when it doesn't happen um you need it so just kind of a, a breakdown of of things here and we have five macronutrients carbon hydrogen oxygen which we don't apply anything for. We, we don't it. think of those three. No, usually. but it's real. I mean, those right. are macronutrients that the crop still needs. Those come from the, the air and the water. So Mother Nature gives us those. And then the three that we, actually six, I said five. Um, the other three that we we all worry about the most, right? Nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. There's a three that we, and then when we write nutrient management plans and talk about fertilizer, those are the big three. Um, and then we have three secondary nutrients, and they, we're not categorizing these as micro, so they're, they're like in the middle. They're not macro, they're micro, they're kind of in the middle. Calcium, magnesium, and sulfur. And I think all four of us here can agree that sulfur's obviously become a bigger problem in the last 20 years with, with all that we've done environmentally to clean up acid rain and just all those kinds of things. We're not, that was a byproduct of farmers were getting that sulfur. Um, so once we've cleaned that up, that's we got to focus on that a little bit more. And then the big micronutrients, boron, and kind of doing this alphabetically: boron, chlorine, copper, iron, manganese, molybdenum, nickel, and zinc. So no, in basically an alphabetical order there. So those are the main ones and the micros that we're we're focused on. And I think depending on crop, we've all, you know. Zinc, we're focused on that on more so corn and beans maybe than alfalfa. And boron, we're focused more so on alfalfa than we are on the others. Um, you know, we're not Minnesota that we worry about iron, but I'm sure some listeners out there could have that in the back of their mind. Um, so that's kind of the breakdown of, of those. And then kind of moving into, like, how to think about these nutrients. You know, there's a mobility. We have mobility within a plant. You know, some are immobile, some are very mobile. And then within the soil too, um, and that kind of within the soil that kind of makes you focus on when to apply, how much to apply, can we apply early, should we apply late, do we need an inhibitor, you know all those things 
go into what we need to do. And that's mainly with the mi the macros, um, more so than the micros. Um, but we know that nitrogen is mobile, right? As as nitrate, it's mobile. We we try to keep it in the immobile form as long as possible in the ammonium form. Um, and we have inhibitors and other things that help us do that. And it's mobile within the plant and the soil. Um, phosphorus, immobile, right? In the soil, that's why we worry about runoff and... Why it tends to build up. And right. We have issues, yeah. And so we, we worry about that in, in phosphorus. Potassium kind of in the middle there, um, depending on conditions. Um, getting into um, micronutrients, uh, secondary nutrients, sulfur, uh, very mobile. So we kind of treat that one like nitrogen. So we can do some soil tests and some tissue tests for that. But in, in general, we realize that sulfur is going to move through the soil profile. Um, same with boron. Boron is very mobile in the soil profile. So a yearly application of boron on your fertile, on your alfalfa crop is probably something that you need to, need to do. And yeah, now we are getting into those micronutrients too. So just something to remember when you get to these boron, copper, iron, the rest of these, it's, it's not always the amount. It's just whether you need it or not. So hopefully tissue sampling can help you figure that out or, knowing your soils and knowing what you need. But even with sulfur, it, it's, we need more of that, like we said, as a secondary nutrient. As we get into boron, a lot of times we're just supplying, you know, what is it, Bill, seven pounds yeah. actual boron. You know, think of that, seven pounds an acre on an alfalfa crop, and, and that gives us enough. Yeah, and it's usually, you know, I think 15% or something is what's actually in, in sure, the fertilizer Sure, in that itself. product. Yep. So... The next one here, copper, um, very immobile, immobile, so it doesn't move in the soil profile. And, and I, I would imagine, talking to the four of us here, all the acres we cover, any of these micronutrients, we, we probably really rarely see a deficiency, right? We, we just So the, the thought is you've got to watch those specific fields that may pop up with, you know, they're probably target fields. Copper was one of those that we'd see actually higher with foot baths and stuff when they used to do those with mm -hmm. with cattle and where where you'd actually that i think for our listeners if, if you're a dairy farmer you may remember hearing about copper more because of that fact it was in that foot bath so and i remember a couple of years and, ago matt you talking about that and we had had the lab that we send our manure samples to actually built a spreadsheet for us with all the results and we could sort it and there was one farm that i work with actually popped up higher in copper in their manure sample than any of the other farms we work with. And we work with four or five or whatever it is, hundreds of farms. And so you could kind of see that and target like, why is this happening? Do we see any issues in the field? You know, those kinds of things. That, that's a good point though, is we're, we're talking about deficiencies, but something like copper, you can have excessive amounts that actually are, are problematic for the plant, especially mm -hmm. copper. So that is thing, something to watch the other way is that, you know, a little will do you on these, you know, a dab will do you. You don't want to go... Right. It's not, it, we're used to managing nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. I mean, we've been cutting back on the phosphorus for obvious reasons over the last few years with all the buildup. But, you know, it's not a, well, I'm just going to keep dumping it on because I, I probably need it. And you should still do the tests, still look at the different factors that, in, that play into this. Moving, moving on to here... Um, 
you know, manganese very very mobile, and I think we see deficiencies there in different soil types, especially muckier soils. You can see a manganese deficiency pop up. That was the point I was going to make. I was kind of waiting for you to get there. Is that I think that's probably one of the most common or most often where we see these deficiencies is those mucky soils, and we see this manganese especially is one that you just I don't know. You yeah, well this this soybean field down on muck ground just doesn't look quite right. It's kind of yellow. It's got this, and you know those deficiencies really show up nice there. So. That's what I think we all probably can identify from site is manganese yep. deficiency. It's an easy one to remember because we see it enough. And let's face it, with muck soil, pH can be off. Organic matter obviously is usually way higher than, than our average soil. So that plays into a lot of these uh, pH and, and organic matter where some of these nutrients can be a problem. Um, next one, zinc very immobile does not move and that's why we're putting that zinc in the starter you know mainly in the pop-up i should say and we're not broadcasting it or even putting it two by two if we can help it obviously some situations you know you that's your only option or seed treatments right a lot of these companies throw zinc on there right on the seed so that one's kind of a that one, especially, you know, years like this where nitrogen's higher priced and, and the zinc and all these fertilizers are higher, are higher priced, it is the one to watch that you probably still don't want to pull it out if you need it. You know, if the ground doesn't get much manure, it's been, say, corn, grain, beans rotation, something like that, it, it's still a good thing to put on. And most of the time it's, what, a quarter an acre for rate right. on our zincs. Right. And even looking at the cost of that, it's gone up, but not not like some of the other products have gone up and you should on any of these micros or any of these nutrients you should be making sure you're placing it correctly you know with the high price of everything let's not waste it and put it where it doesn't need it or it can't help you you know by like zinc for example broadcasting it doesn't make make a lot of agronomic sense um a couple of these other ones getting to the end of the list here and bill as you're getting to these like Honestly, some of these I don't even yeah, worry like, about. Like, like mal- I don't know that I've ever worried about molybdenum. No, you don't. You don't, I, don't go to bed that I've ever worried about cobalt. Like, <laughs> I never had a. Like I'm maybe. just thinking of tissue. Te- you know, sometimes it might test a little high or low or weird, out of place, and it was just environmentally that crop couldn't maybe pick it up for that time. But man, these as we're getting into it are are tough ones that it'd just be interesting if our listeners have had any problems or you guys have had any problems with these. So you just grind up nickels and then throw them out on the field? Is that <laughs> how do. you get the nickel I out do. there? That's what I usually do, yep. yep. It's probably cheaper, actually. Go, yeah, <laughs> go, get a, go get a stack <laughs> from the bank and <laughs> throw them a couple of rolls. I don't, I don't know if there's any real nickel left in nickel. That's the only problem. Well, they're nickel-coated, yeah, now. Most of them, I think, are something else inside and then with a coating. I think cobalt and nickel, that's more of a build-up rather than a deficiency right. rate. I mean, Molybdenum, really choline. You think Thomas... Chlorine, Jeff- excuse me, cobalt, nickel, you're right. Those are the last ones here that probably don't become an issue much at all. Maybe some soil types throughout the country do, but um, not a big big issue. Well, how do you decide if it's deficient or or sufficient i mean or even excessive i guess obviously matt you were talking about diagnosis in your plants and there's several things you could do in the field to look at and see why the crop looks the way it does um but obviously there's always testing to do to to verify that and a lot of times you know sulfur can look a lot like 
a lot like nitrogen, and yep. some of these can double up, and you might not exactly know exactly what they are. Right. It's, so they're, it's yellow, but then you got to look at the edges and where where's where's the yellow starting and growing, and it can be complicated. Yeah. I think the hardest part with these these micros, especially, is the soil test. It's it, there's no real like range. It's just like adequate or not. You know, when you look at the the papers written about how to take your soil test for these micros, like boron. If it's at a two, it's adequate. If it's at one, it's low. Like, what? One? Like, there's not right. even a range not, there. Not much, like, yeah, much difference. You there, know, yeah. and, and same with, like, iron above four, below four. That's really all there is. Just make sure it's above four. Um, manganese, it's kind of the same way with it's a two. You know, if it's above two, it's great. If it's not, it's not. You know, so that's where, the hard where part. Were those, where did you find those numbers? Because they're also very hard to find sufficiency ranges for soil especially some you know for the tissue samples we have really good sufficiency right, ranges but right. in soil, soil i forget if it was a uw paper or if it was right from the soil science society's okay. website either one of those two is where i where i found this so. but it is hard to find some of those sometimes to know like was well, this test low or where am i at and we um, and we don't deal with it a lot you know but we do get some farmers that ask us to take them and then when you get the results back you really got to do digging to to look at them and understand what they mean. Well, I think it could be crop can matter, soil type. There's other factors that Correct. with these that can well, that can tie in, which makes it more difficult. Because like I'm looking at UWs because I I just happened to pull it up not too long ago when I was talking with a farmer and um, you know soil pH with manganese makes a big difference. So there's diff- just different factors that you have to take in. It's not as easy to say oh it should be X number. And which makes it more complicated to manage them too. And and for the listeners out there, we're going to dive deeper, I think, into each one of these nutrients at some point. Uh, just today, wanted to give an overview of of all the things that we we look at. Um, and then, like you said, Todd, looking at you know plant tissue, that'd be the next thing to me. We want to do maybe even do that first, right? I, I would say in general, when we're looking at the true micronutrients, plant tissue testing is is always the cheaper, better way right. than, than doing soil because it tells us what the plant... You're basically using your plant as your extractor then instead of a lab test. And the phosphorus extraction, the potassium extraction we use in a lab is is extremely well calibrated. We know how to do it. And not to say these aren't calibrated because they're all using sort of that same machine. When they're doing it a soil test for a micronutrient, it's, we don't know the sufficiency ranges as well. And so when we started in plant tissue, the hardest part is stage can be a big factor in plant tissue testing is taking it at certain stages will really help you know, uh, like ear leaf for corn is an extremely good, well-calibrated stage. So stuff like that can be pose a problem with tissue sampling, but in general, it's a very good indicator of if you do need or don't need some of these micronutrients. And I think we can possibly argue about what those sufficiency ranges are because there's oh. you know depending on who you who you look at there's you know uw has their system the co-op has a little bit of a different scenario so who's right who's wrong um but that i think you're right todd in the fact that you want to take a tissue that's going to give you a better analysis than a soil test it's just where do we sit on these sufficiency ranges that sometimes differ what I do think is good is the sufficiency ranges in a micronutrient are usually because you just need that little bit of it. 
So it's either there or it's not, or it's too much. And I think they show us that pretty like copper will pop up excessive if it is crazy high. So I think that helps us a lot that it, there's not a lot of wiggle room in there. So it helps. Whereas sometimes maybe for NP and K on a tissue sample is actually a lot harder because the rate matter. I, and, and those, like I said, they're all a good tool, but you're right, Bill, there's some spots you got to kind of watch out. And to look at your sufficiency ranges per crop, and maybe you brought that up already, Matt, but depending when you take it, the stage of the crop, whether it's before flowering, after flowering, before tillering, after tillering, in wheat, maybe it's prior to heading or after heading, you know, all those, and work with your agronomist to to figure out when's the best time to take it. Obviously, if we want to do something about it, we got to have the ability to do that application in the field that we're not just, oh, we're going to take it to take it. Right. That's a good point, Bill, is when you do manage that test, then is there anything you can do about it? Oh, we know it's low. Well, now what what can we do? Is there a foliar we can do? Is there, you know, does it mean we have to plan for next year now, depending on crop rotation? How How can we manage it? That is probably the most frustrating part is most of the time once the plant tissue tells you that, you still struggle. You It's almost too late to get it into that plant. Well, Some of it's environmental that you just... And you think about like zinc, for example, it immobile in the plant, immobile in the soil. Like, okay, it's deficient. We could go put some out there, but we might be wasting our money at that point. So that is a planning for next year then, Todd, of like right. how can we get it on next year the correct way? Right. All right. So a lot to, lot to unpack there. Like Bill said, as we move in to the next few episodes, we'll try to put some spotlights on these individual micronutrients and talk a little bit more in depth about this topic. But it's a good intro into everything we got here. So more to come on that. All right. Now we'll move into our spotlight for today. Today we're going to look at some more than graphite, a seed plus graphite, the seed lubrication and agronomic punch, as it says in the article here. So Verdesian is eyeing 2022 as a big growth year for its latest seed product, seed plus graphite, which is a three-pronged product providing seed flowability plus agronomic benefits. So it's a 80-20 graphite and talc blend. It has micronutrients, calcium, iron, zinc, copper, manganese, and molybdenum. and also has some biostimulants and metabolites extracted from seaweed. It's like sushi for your seed. Not gas station sushi? Yeah, probably not, yeah. Maybe festival sushi, but probably better Ah, sushi. Yeah, Discount Sushi Tuesdays. There you go. Uh, Formulation is a result of a proprietary technology from cytosome or cytosyme, which Verdesian acquired in 2021. So I like how they refer to it as a lunch pail for the seedling. So you're throwing a, a whole bunch of stuff in there while you're just you know lubricating your seed boxes like you, you normally would with gra- straight graphite or a, some sort of blend. So now you can add a little bit of extras for that seed in this mix. And the pictures are really interesting, seeing the treated versus untreated lot of extra growth it looks like with the treatment 
Obviously, they're not going to talk probably about pricing in that article. But right. what I thought was cool is this isn't like a really hard thing to do. Like you put graph and talc on anyway, it just kind of comes along with it. And I almost kind of take it as like, oh, whatever happens, happens. Unless it's obviously priced to out of whack. But I thought it was kind of neat to just be able to really easy application of something like this. Yeah, the application rates were eight ounces per hundred pounds of seed in corn, and then four ounces per hundred pounds seed in soybeans. Which I thought was—I don't know if that right now when you do talc, it just seems like guys put in like you um, know a couple scoops to the yeah uh, the the uh, powder squeeze the powder squeeze bottle. You do two quick little. All right, well, that looks good. Yeah, and you go to the next box. It does say down here that. Uh, Traditional graphite runs fifty to eighty-five cents. Seed plus graphite retails for three dollars per acre. So depending on your seed weight, and that would be tricky too. Is seed weight would be a lot more right? Yeah, it's just a, an interesting to get that rate, like you say, and making sure it. You probably got to be a little more exact. Well, what do you do? Do you treat them? You treat it in the in the tote. You know what I'm no, saying? No. You just put it in the I don't, when no. you load the plant. Yeah, yeah. especially talc and graphite, you're not going to want to treat. Right, right. that's what I'm yeah, saying. But it's right. going to be harder to treat on that 100-pound, you know, to try right. and get the rate dialed. I, yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah, they're, they're touting a 3.6 bushel average return. So see if that holds up as it hits the market. But be interesting. Something to look at. Pretty good return, though. Yeah. It's an extra 10 bucks an acre right now, right? All right, now we'll move into the Ag History Minute. we we'll talk the Wisconsin Fertilizer Research Fund today. So in the mid-1970s, public support of agriculture research was on the decline. University of Wisconsin began seeking new sources of funding to continue the practical applied research that directly benefits Wisconsin farmers. Soil fertility, plant nutrition, and soil management were important research areas that needed additional funding. The cooperation of fertilizer dealers and manufacturers, farmers, and the Wisconsin legislature, a law was passed in 1978 that created the Wisconsin Fertilizer Research Fund. The law has since been amended to include a focus on environmental issues. Current law states that the fund is to be used for research on soil management, soil fertility, plant nutrition problems, and for research on surface water and groundwater problems that may be related to fertilizer usage, for dissemination of the results of the research, and for other designated activities tending to promote the correct excuse me, usage of fertilizer materials. As state and federal research money continued to decline, private sector funds from fertilizer sales become even more important in terms of helping farmers make wise decisions regarding their fertilizer use in Wisconsin. Benefits of this research are shared with the same members of the private sector that provide the investment, Wisconsin farmers. All right. So 17 cents yep. of every ton goes to that, that fund. When fertilizer prices go up, does that go up? No. Should have put that in there. No. Or maybe not. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't put a percentage or a, something different. Yeah, from 70, 1978 to 2013, it was only 10 cents. So now it's more but, than it used Bill, to do you remember it. when it... Because remember Jeff kind of pushed yeah, remember that legislation oh, yeah. for yeah. for that to be moved up and, and stuff. Like carry it soils at UW was you know that's that's where they get a lot of their, lot funding. Of their funding. So it was very to important say. to them, which it should be like probably you know and and I know they 
17 cents goes to this fund, but the tonnage tax, there's other dad cap takes that out and there's other places where that money goes. It, it, you know, so, so there's 83 cents that goes somewhere else. Sure. It's not this fertilizer research fund. So it'd be nice that that number could get increased to 30 or 50 cents would be nice. Well, good. Thanks, Matt. And thank you to all our listeners out there. We like that you listen, and all we ask is you tell a farmer friend to listen, and he's going to ask you, where do I go, how do I listen, all that good stuff. If you're on your computer or on a smartphone browser, you can go to tilthegg.com slash podcast. Easiest way to listen, though, is on your phone. On an iPhone, there's an app called Apple Podcasts, and there you can search Tilth Talk Radio. And on Android, we like Podcast Addict, Podbean, Podbean or Player FM. Matt, you just got a new phone. Are you still using podcast addict on there or is there something better nope that's what i've stuck with so far i haven't uh explored any ones lately yeah and if you want to find us follow us on facebook and twitter at tilth talk radio all right thanks todd now we'll get into our cool beans that's corny with some current events so cool beans cool beans cool, cool beans. beans cool beans way to jump on max I, yeah jeez we didn't have Bill last week, and I got we had to like double up the double, cool beans, sure. and yeah, I keep forgetting. Just str- we're struggling to keep the cool beans uh, in order. We now. we just reorganized the way we, we just, sit, yeah. so that's what's really that's really messed with just it. Yeah. That excited. So so going forward, we're gonna sit this way again. <laughs> if we go counterclockwise like we have been, Todd's Todd's know, after me. Uh, Todd's after yep. Bill. Okay, after the third Todd. cool beans is a pretty big deal, yeah. Max. So just, <laughs> Yeah, I don't want that responsibility. <laughs> heavy. That. Too bad you get it. Heavy is the crown that is the third. Queen. Then if you otherwise you got to flip the table so you're next to me right now you're not so just flip. <laughs> no, the if table. I sit there then I can't see Todd and it's just a whole nother. It's then we got a whole nother thing again. Just know. be third, Max. Wait, I'm third or I'm fourth? You just told me he's fourth. Bill, see, One, Bill's two. the problem. Okay, you're after Todd. Oh, you're after Todd. Yeah. See, he keeps changing his mind. <laughs> All right, so cool beans. Let's get let's get going. All right, fertilizer prices may drop may signal relief at last for U.S. farmers. So, uh, was a drop in urea prices this month as markets are adjusting to reports of full warehouses. So hopefully those guys doing inventory know what they're doing. Unlike our special teams, way to bring it back. All right, signaling the anticipated shortage may not happen. So wholesale prices are dropping. Could. Signal easing food cost pressures and relief from farmers getting set for spring planting. In the Corn Belt, urea prices fell 8.2% to 6.75 per short ton, the lowest since October, according to Bloomberg's Green Markets. Prices have fallen each week this month as the market adjusts to recent report of full warehouses, signaling the anticipated shortage of the crop nutrient this year may not come to pass. So... We did talk about that early January or kind of about two weeks ago. And it was just that feeling of like prices aren't going up. And yeah, they're not cratering down or anything, but it seems like they're, you know, 8% down is good news. And yeah. the more we can have it just kind of keep going down that by that little bit. Well, we should all be used to the fact now that things go up fast, but they don't come down fast. True. Just a matter of how things work. Can jump up 15, 20%, but we're only going to come down a couple percentage points at a time. So that's good news. Hopefully that continues to trend in that direction. Our that's corny this week. Seems like we always 
hit on this, but labor trucking issues could create logistical challenges for input delivery. So your price for the actual product may not be as high, but may see some issues in getting it delivered. So a study from the American Trucking Association says the industry is short nearly 80,000, that's right, 80,000 truck drivers. And a fertilizer supplier says that creates logistical challenges for delivery. So Paul, <clears throat> Paul Gerties with CHS says shortage creates a backup in the supply chain. It could be difficult to transport inputs to farmers this spring. So we'll see what happens. As if you're a farmer out there and you have your, have your own truck, have a 16 wheeler, right. you're just it, thinking yeah. about like getting out on that road and going to pick up your stuff and maybe somebody else's or. That old semi that's been sitting in the fence line sure does look yeah. pretty good right yeah. now. Get her up and running and make some trips. Even think of how many farmers like now versus even ten years ago. How many more truck they're you know on on the side doing something or you know and a lot of that is in within say a forage crew or something like that. But you even know, forage and manure, right? Right. right. Can, right. Um, and now it. here's another potential opportunity to to jump in and yeah, just go pick up your own fertilizer. Yeah, eighty thousand short. That's yeah, that's not that's a, a lot of trucks. Not a little. That's a lot. So hopefully, if you're you've got kids that are bored and need a job, send them to CDL school this winter. And <laughs> yeah, may they probably get right in. All right, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked about micronutrients. Gave you a little bit of a primer on what they are we'll go into more detail in some future episodes our spotlight this week was seed plus graphite a new product that adds a little bit of plant food in with just the lubrication that you'd normally put in with your seed ag history minute we talked about the wisconsin fertilizer research fund and where that money comes from cool beans that's corny we talked about our cool beans being a fertilizer price drop. That's corny being a lack of truckers making logistical issues for fertilizer delivery. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.